0: With a billion dollar airport expansion, new office towers, and revitalized neighborhoods all over town, Denver is bringing together the past and the future, a mix of preservation and development that's on the frontier of adaptive reuse, sustainability, and more. On this episode, we're Rocky Mountain High, coming to you from Denver's downtown district of Lodo with some of the best real estate minds in the West for a conversational tour of Colorado its capital city, Denver.
1: I like to think of Denver as having this overarching atmosphere that's this unique pro-business sort of environmentally focused place that sort of makes you feel like you're combining Texas and California.
0: That's Katie Kruger, a CBRE Managing Director who heads our five offices in Colorado. A Former CEO of the Denver Metro Commercial Association of Realtors. Katie now leads CBRE's advisory business
2: across all lines of business in the state. It's the gateway to the West. It is a regional city in a sense that it has the economic engine that powers the region. It's a fantastic city in the sense of the quality of life.
0: And that's Rodney Milton the executive director of the Urban Land Institute, or ULI Colorado, an organization with a stated mission to shape the future of the built environment. ULI Colorado's membership includes roughly 1,400 professionals from across the real estate industry, architects, developers, planners, and more. Coming up, real estate in a mile-high market. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to the weekly take. And today I am here in one of the fastest growing places because of its live, work, play characteristics, great business environment, sports teams, and ain't too far from the mountains either. And so to help us describe why Denver has been such a success story, we have Rodney Milton. Rodney, thanks for coming to the show.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Spencer, for having me.
0: Delighted to have you. And then we have Katie Kruger. Katie, thank you for joining the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Spencer.
2: So let's just get right down to it, Rodney. Tell us why Denver is a great place to be. It's the gateway to the West. It is a regional city in the sense that it has the economic engine that powers the region. It's a fantastic city in the sense of the quality of life, right? So when you talk to folks, as a matter of fact, I just recently relocated. I grew up here, but I moved away. And I brought my wife here, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago. She came here the lifestyle The outdoors, the beauty drew her so much that she said every year from that moment, we have to figure out a way to get to Denver. So we relocated in 2020. And I think that draw to quality of life, particularly if there was something about the pandemic that was positive, It was the recognition for folks to be able to move and be where they wanted to be so that they could be in places that were outdoors, places that were thoughtful and intentional about quality of life. And the green space here is fantastic. When we moved, we didn't have a dog. We had to get a dog because this is heaven for dog owners. And so I think that high quality of life. That high element of economic opportunity is a factor for folks. And, and that's what you see, that draw and that attractiveness to Denver. So uh, I know I'm going to get the text from my producer or right. from my listeners. What kind of dog did you get? Ronnie? So my, I'm going to get the text from my, my wife if she listens because she knows I love this dog. It's a Basenji. This is either the oldest breed of dog or one of the oldest. She's African. Um, She doesn't bark. She's fantastic. I'll I'll post some pictures of her. I love her.
0: Awesome. Well, we're going to get some Basenji lovers on this uh, podcast for sure. few and
2: far between, but but yes.
0: Terrific. So, Katie, maybe it is a gateway city uh, to the west, as Rodney put it, but uh, why Denver?
1: Right, I— I so appreciate Rodney's story about his wife's emotional response to the city, and I like to think that she might have been drawn here because we are smart, young, and beautiful. Uh, Smart in the sense that we have 39,000 students that attend our three universities downtown, and that stands us up as 10th in the tech industry for tech talent. We're the second best place for college grads to move to, and that feeds into our young, category. Our median age downtown is just 35. Makes it really fun to go out after work and hang out and we are beautiful. Historically those folks who settled Colorado back in the 1860s would paint postcards and send them back east to brag about their pioneering spirit. We made it here and by the way it was really great when we got here. We're one of the sunniest cities. We have mountain views even beyond our stadiums and we are a must-be place for outdoor adventurers. And that's my pitch.
0: That's a good pitch. So let's now talk about why Denver, in the last, say, is it 20 years, would you say that it's really come about? 10 years? What was the turning point? What caused it to turn? Was it the new airport? Um, is it the train line to the new airport? Is it the tech? Industry? If you put your finger on any one thing, Rodney, what might it be?
2: Well, I think you hit. A couple of them, right? Major decisions that, that change the dynamics of a city are those such things, right? So the airport, I believe the stats on the airport is the third busiest. Um, and And I think that put Denver on the map as a city and destination in a way that competes with other cities in that bracket. The investment in, transport- in transit is another factor. Oftentimes, cities reach a tipping point where they're either going to be those mid-tier cities or they're going to step into the next level, and those are decisions that need to be made. So, one, that transit decision, the airport. I'd also say being intentional about the vibrancy of downtown, so the redevelopment of Union Station. Spencer, I remember when I was a kid, I went there. We had a family friend who was a conductor— for Amtrak, and he gave me a tour of the facility. As a young kid, that left an impression. I've gone back, and I don't know if you've gone back. It's a completely different environment. It's vibrant. It is a destination in and of itself, and it's a gem for the city, and it's right downtown, right? And so that level of intentionality is a huge, pivotal factor in terms of elevating Denver into that next tier of cities where it's being mentioned in the Austins um in the Atlantas uh and that in that bracket so
1: I would layer on to what Rodney started, and it happened over the last decade, and uh, but really has roots in our origins. If I go back to the development of uh, Colorado as a territory and Denver as the leader of that area, we watched the first stagecoach come across the valley to Denver when it was this itty-bitty place that the Pioneers um, were setting up, and there was this great... Uh, Um, billowing dust behind this four-wheeled stagecoach and the settlers were so excited to have outsiders here that they climbed trees and stood on their roofs and watched these visitors come in and it was this same spirit that brought the airport into fruition and I think we do 70 million visitors um, per year and it really is the way that we have continued to make um, our landlocked state a port city um, or make Denver into a port city.
0: Let's shift now to a little bit more nitty gritty real estate. I don't think it's any mystery to anybody out there right now that the capital markets uh, are not in our favor right now. They are uh, significant headwinds with interest rates rising, concerns about inflation, uh, deal volume um, gets impacted by that. But what's going on right now in Denver in terms of uh, business activity in real estate?
1: Thankfully, we are very diversified here in Denver. So we have a good upside to the story. We're still the fifth most preferred market for real estate investment. And I brought a great kind of layered statistic to show this. In 2021, 33% of our new sector projects were residential. Mixed use was 33% and office was 17%. Um, Our pipeline going forward includes 13 private sector projects with 46% residential, 38% mixed use, and 8% office. And so the investment is still here. They're shifting. We're seeing that um, at CBRE Colorado, and we're working with our clients on um, shifting their investments. So,
2: Rodney, what are your uh, members saying? It's the same thing. Multifamily is on fire and industrial spaces are really key. But I also think that what you're finding is there is this increased uh, activity, but it's changed. The dynamics have changed. So the core of the work week... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is pretty vibrant. And I think you can note that. I think there is vibrancy and activity, but I think what you're seeing is there's still a tourism, right? Like folks are visiting downtown and visiting Denver, and that level of vibrancy in terms of our bookings for restaurants, in terms of the event space and activities is still vibrant. Um, but my members are saying multifamily is really huge. Residential is really huge. And that push towards mixed use, that pipeline of projects is still up. So
0: About three years ago, I wrote a piece, or I was involved with writing a piece called CBRE's Green Building Adoption Index. And the number one city for office for greenest buildings in terms of LEED and ENERGY STAR and stuff was Chicago and uh, Washington, D.C. But the number one city for multifamily was Denver. But it was still a relatively small percentage, about 7%, which is shockingly small when you see offices like 70%, including the building that we're sitting in right now. I saw it right there on the front of the building. So let's talk about that element, about Denver transforming. Obviously, you got sunshine, you got clean air, mountain air, you've got the mountains right there. But how big is green as part of the Denver growth story?
1: Spencer, I'll take that question. I like to think of Denver as having this overarching atmosphere that's this unique pro-business sort of environmentally focused place that sort of makes you feel like you're combining Texas and California. And I think that this is a great way to articulate how we kind of come together. In 2017, the business community and the environmentalists worked together for 18 months to develop Denver's Green Building Ordinance, and what it put in place is all buildings over 25,000 square feet have a number of choices to advance their green initiatives, um, and what has come out of it is a lot of cool roofs or white roofs. Um, you and- can
0: call them cool. Cool's a world <laughs> we use here a lot on the show, it, not just for temperature, but cool counts too. <laughs>
1: cool all the way around, right. and uh, it has encouraged a lot of off-site solar. We have a lot of sun, but as you can imagine, in a burgeoning city, not every building is perfectly situated to capture the rays. So,
2: I'm actually fortunate. I'll take this and make it a little bit more personal. My home was built in 2017. It's fully solar powered. I've got two EVs, um, uh, made that transition, and that's part of designers and home builders embracing the reality of sustainability in the built environment. And so my entire neighborhood is relatively solar powered and energy efficient. When you see both the private sector and the public sector are coming together through policy initiatives like you mentioned before, the net zero ordinance and the net zero imperatives that are pushing the envelope in terms of what the city is looking for. My members are saying, okay, let's make sure we can make that work. What does that mean? What are the capital markets looking at? How do we make sure that there's tenant demand for these types of buildings? Again, you mentioned before, we're in a sustainable building. It's fantastic. We office here. Um, but that trend of retrofitting and adaptive reuse, the city and county of Denver has hired an adaptive reuse professional, right? Just dedicated on helping folks usher in because we realize, you know, I think the sentiment is the the greenest building is the existing building. And so our members are working uh, diligently with the city and county of Denver who is forward thinking in that space.
0: Well, let me also reuse the word that Katie opened the door to It looks cooler to have (laughs) a mix of adaptive reuse buildings. Um, By the way, in this neighborhood that we're in, are we in Lodo right now? We are. We're in Lodo. So Lodo has this unique look and feel. And, you know, it doesn't just look cool. It's actually greener not to tear this place down and start anew, even though there's reasons why economically people might consider that. But Katie, what's your point of view on sustainability? How important it is around here?
1: Yeah, here are a couple points that really show Colorado as a leader. Colorado ranks in the top 20 for the percentage of electricity generated from renewable resources. In 2019, Colorado generated 25% of its electricity from renewables. And we like to think of it also in terms of jobs. It has burned on jobs here in manufacturing turbines, um, installing wind and solar facilities. And so the trickle down is great.
2: Yeah. And I think that's excellent in terms of the culture, right? And real projects, you know, ULI does tours of particular sites and really highlights best practices in this space. Denver Water just rebuilt their entire facilities, net zero. Generating their own energy. There are some innovations there that are just incredible in terms of the way they're using and reusing water. So that's one project that represents this imperative and, and realizing it. Pancretia Lofts is another. It was actually a Catholic um, monastery that they converted adap- again, adaptive reuse completely electric and affordable housing, which is an incredible combination. So there are real projects that we've seen that embody ESG in in a real way. ULI is actually going to be hosting a symposium to really say, let's make the case. If the capital markets are seeing this as a reality, um, how do you make these types of deals work? And so that's our position in terms of education and enabling these things to happen and highlighting best practices in real projects that are on the ground.
0: Let's talk about one of the limiting factors now. And this is a limiting factor globally, which is labor, availability. What does it cost? Where do you get it? Rodney, what are your members saying about labor and how they're dealing with it?
2: everyone's feeling the pinch, so it's across the board. ULI has local product councils that are our C-suite folks getting together and trying to solve problems. And they're seeing it across the board. The thing about labor that's interesting, though, is its connection to housing affordability. We just had a new member coffee uh, this morning. And I've got members coming from, you know, Denver is still attracting talent. And the main issue that they're facing is lack of affordable housing. And so that's a key piece to retaining labor and encouraging folks we are adjacent to a rare area campus. That's three colleges and universities. Um, I, I think the numbers are 40,000, 39,000, right? And these are often first generation. These are often a diverse labor pool. If we can't, keep them here through places and having places and homes for them to afford then we lose that element of it as well and then diversifying our labor pool is huge right and being focused on those trades to make sure that we are intentional about how we educate our labor in that respect. ULI does do programming around that. We've got a real estate diversity initiative uh, that we manage that's a curriculum designed to introduce women and folks of color into the development space, um, construction oriented and the like. So. We're doing our best, but again, I, I think that's across the board. Everyone's sort of feeling that pinch because a lot of folks have a lot of choices in terms of where they want to go. And retention of that talent is really key towards a housing affordability. There's a nexus there.
0: So one of the reasons why Atlanta often scores high uh, is because it's one of the most diverse places in, in America. And certainly, Uh, Denver is trying to increase that diversity as well. Um, But this is the segment of the show that gets me thrown out because I love Denver for all reasons except one. Yeah. And that one reason I don't like it, I don't like height restrictions. I just don't. And the reason I don't like height restrictions is because there's nothing more efficient than to go vertical. And so everybody wants a view of the mountains. I get it. But it does restrict the amount of housing stock. Any point of view on this?
2: I'll be honest with you. I'm an urban planner. And density, whether discrete or otherwise, is a key factor in building cities in terms of equity, in terms of accessibility for folks. And so I think the fear associated with what vertical looks like, when people close their eyes, they automatically think New York City. They think there's other ways to develop. There's other ways to manage a greater growth rate that is accommodating, that doesn't strain housing supply, which is what you have now, if you're not tackling the fact that your land uses are limited to single family or height restrictions, these things that exacerbate the housing market and restrict the supply and therefore the increased housing costs, you're not going to have a vibrant city, right? Those things are connected to each other. And so you'll just have folks moving further and further out. The challenge, unlike other cities, is that Denver, is constrained by water as well. So you can't go far enough out to solve your problems uh, in terms of sprawl because water restricts exactly what you can do. And so when I say cities are a solution, um, I mean that in the best sense in terms of density, in terms of the sustainable ways that we grow. Otherwise, we'll meet the fate of other cities that are completely unaffordable and facing these challenges with two arms behind their back.
0: So in terms of Moving forward for Denver, one of the things we talked about here was adaptive reuse. And uh, I was the reason why I was flipping the slide deck in front of you is I was looking for my statistic, which showed that downtown Denver was the third fastest growing uh, rent growth city actually, uh, among the cities in America that we like the tech city. So congratulations on that. But the thing that we both know is true is that there's some office out there that is having difficulty that, that is troubled. But guess what? It's taller. And so is that an opportunity for adaptive reuse to create some multifamily out of that? Is that part of the conversation, Katie?
1: It is. The mayor has these different think tanks and task force groups, and we have met with some folks from Texas who have a tax incentive program in place that help to solve for some of the plumbing issues and um, the door-to-window span. Right, that
2: floor plate <laughs> issue, yeah.
1: Yeah, and they've solved for a lot of it in other states, and I think that it's coming for Denver.
2: Agreed. And I think I might have seen it in the Denver Post as a couple of different projects that are looking at converting office spaces into residential. Right, I think it makes sense because you're reimagining what activities dominate your downtown. It used to be office is the predominant measure of the central business district. It may be in the future that is... People. It is residential. It's commercial. It's retail. It's a mix of uses that take advantage of those types of activities and bringing more people downtown. I know on our area campus, they just built a resident hall for bringing more people downtown. I think that's going to be what you're going to see going forward.
0: Okay, I just found my chart. This is our Tech 30 report. All right, and Denver ranks uh, fifth among all of the downtown areas in the country in terms of its rent growth in the, in the tech areas. You should be proud of that, right? And it speaks to, notwithstanding the broader office markets challenges, Denver is performing uh, extremely well. Uh, let's talk about some of the other asset types just very briefly. Uh, industrial has been probably, uh, maybe with the possible exception of multifamily, the number one performing asset type for the last several years. How's the industrial market here, Katie?
1: The industrial market is fantastic, and it comes with so many more people having their groceries delivered. It used to be that when that van came around the corner, I knew it was coming for my porch, and now it makes six stops before it hits my house. And so we're seeing a lot of refrigerated industrial, uh, industrial in new places, um, multi-story industrial with robotics, um, and it is on fire And a lot of it comes from um, this change to having everything delivered.
2: I can anecdotally tell you that my membership is really bullish on on industrial. From an asset class type, it is performing as well as you would imagine here in Denver. Yeah, And,
0: and the logistics patterns really help here. And I'll give you one logistics pattern that helps here. I-70, which I think is within almost a stone's throw of where we are right now, goes all the way to my house in Baltimore. I mean, literally all the way within like three miles. So it's a tremendous crossroads, as you put it earlier, Rodney, to be sort of a gateway uh, to the West. Now, this is a difficult question, and we all want to be the best. And This is not a knock on Denver. But if you think about the city that you are today, what city do you think you're most like and which city do you want to be like maybe in the future? Katie, any point of view on that?
1: Yeah, I think that we are a lot like Austin, and that comes from the tech industries there, the youth, the education, and they even have their own way of doing the outdoor scene. Uh, we both face affordable housing issues as our one in uh, safety and security and affordable housing issues um, as big deals in our cities. Uh, I would say... A little bit different in Denver is we have some of the lowest residential property tax rates out there. And so maybe we edge them out a little bit on your mortgage, but uh, comparable and not a bad city to be paired with and grow up together.
2: You know, it's interesting because I'm an urban planner, and I study cities, and I and I look at the trajectory of cities depending on the decisions that they're making. And so, I completely agree with you, Kate. I think from a peer perspective, Austin is right there, right? But I would hope that because a lot of these other cities are are challenged in the same ways that Denver is, but they're at, Denver's at this critical, pivotal moment where it can make some different decisions and embrace the pioneering spirit of going a different direction. So when we talk about Seattle, Seattle's really struggling with affordability. I mean, huge At their media in house. I'm not even going to quote the numbers there. That's the direction most cities go, right? They get more fluent. Uh, they get less diverse. They get less accessible and they become islands. Denver can change that trajectory. It can do some different things. It can mix that attractiveness of the West Coast with the funkiness of the South and the, and the East and chart its own path, which is what we've done forever, right? We are pioneers. And so I, I would love to see a different style of a city. One that is very thoughtful about the way it uses land, one that is very visionary in terms of solving for places, solving for that sustainability, taking advantage of our natural resources, the fact that we have Sun 300 plus days, the fact that we have an attractive talent pool, the fact that we are generating innovation in the tech space and we've got these major assets, we can go a different direction than the trajectory of most U.S. cities, right? And that's going to take bold leadership because I can tell you what cities typically do. As an urban, I can tell you the trajectory of most cities. They don't become inclusive, vibrant, and sustaining. They typically become unaffordable, and then you get push-out, right? And so your satellite cities become where some of the vibrancy is, right? there's an opportunity for Denver to change that trajectory, and I'd love to see it happen.
0: Let's talk about those satellite cities for just a moment. There are two types of satellite cities. There are the bigger cities that are in the, quote, mountain region, right? And that might include Salt Lake City. It might include Las Vegas. It might include Omaha, Nebraska, if you want to go east, okay? But then you have Colorado Springs. Then you have Fort Collins. Then you've got Boulder. So, Katie, when you look at satellite cities, how do you define it?
1: I like Colorado Springs. I'm betting on the growth out there. It's beautiful and has a wonderful, welcoming environment. There are some economists here in Colorado who believe when our state moves from 5000000 million-ish to 8000000 million-ish, that Colorado Springs is our bigger city um, and that downtown Denver is this kind of cultural hub and capital place. Um, but a lot more business is happening down there.
0: What is the public transportation to get from here to Fort Collins? Colorado Springs, Boulder, today, and where where might it be going?
1: There is hope that our regional transportation district connects all of those places, and they aren't yet connected today.
2: Yeah, and I think that, again, goes to those big decisions trajectory changing decisions. Um, You know, ULI is ULI Colorado. We've got a regional committee and um, council in Colorado Springs. There's tremendous activity going on in Colorado Springs. It's it's, it's hot. Uh, Fort Collins as well. We've got a regional committee there and we've got a regional committee in Boulder. The reasons why the front range itself should be thought of from that regional perspective. And so again, that is another opportunity that the city of Denver has is it can look at itself and its collective decisions in a regional format that can solve some of those problems that we're talking about. Um, Often, you know, I'm coming from the city of Atlanta. Most recently, Atlanta is a unique place because the city itself is at the core. It's only half a million people. The region, the the MSA or the Metropolitan Statistical Area, um, is larger than the city itself which means that you have competing interests when it comes to attraction of talent, housing policies, all of those sort of things. Denver's reversed in that way. It is the largest, and it has the opportunity to lead the region uh, in a responsible manner and incorporating the regional decisions that need to happen.
0: And it's not always um, crystal cut that trains are the way to go. So you take a look at Texas as an example. When I'm down in Austin, I say, well, why don't you – have a train to San Antonio? Why don't you have a train to Dallas? Why don't you to Big driving culture. I don't think it's ever going to happen there. But they did just do a train uh, between Seattle and Bellevue, which and Bellevue is a place that, when I started going there 20 years ago, was not what it is today. It's, today it has actually newer buildings in Seattle. They also built a train to Portland, Oregon. They, so do you have any point of view on that? Is it is, is trains the, the necessary future, or are there other ways to... Make this one big region.
1: Yeah, well, I'm taking a minute here, Spencer, to think about the people of Colorado, and they love the ski trains and things like that, and many of our young at the office do not have a car. So my hunch is yes. Also, we have this interesting statistic. Beyond our mountain biking culture here, we're seeing an 8% gain year over year in cyclists within the city getting around and an enormous uptake in the use of this 66-mile highline canal trail. Mm -hmm. And it connects all of the neighborhoods in Denver and then beyond. You can really get out of town and rejuvenate. So my hunch is, yes, our people here will adopt that. Yeah. and and If you build it, they will come.
2: No, I agree. And I think... that is the opportunity to face a contradiction. So we've been talking a lot about what Denver is and the folks, a lot of times there are contradictions sitting within what we are. The idea that we love open spaces and views, but going vertical is what you need to do to sustain that. Um, Getting up into the mountains is so, that is culturally. I remember moving to Florida and I stopped going outside as much as I did when I lived here because of humidity, Um, but culturally, That's what you did on the weekends. You were hiking, you were biking, you were exploring the trails. The traffic associated with getting to that lifestyle that you want and the impact of that traffic is going to force people to make some serious decisions about the lifestyle that they want to maintain and preserve and that they want to sustain and live. And those choices are going to be either enabling more people to get up there through transit um, or the status quo, which is individual routes and cars, even if they're EVs, for the record, right? So there's other opportunities, but those are major transitional choices that need to be made.
0: Well, I think the, the train is something. There is already a ski train, isn't that correct?
1: That's right, and a bus system. Yeah, okay. And it sells out.
0: There you go. In terms of foreign visitors to the city and to its surrounding areas, how do you see that as a driver of the Denver economy?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't have the statistic on foreign visitors alone, but we are hitting um, very close to pre-pandemic levels at this point. I think we're at 31.9 or something million visitors. And what I was going towards, Spencer, is I am a professor at the At the University of Colorado, Denver, teaching an introduction to commercial real estate class. And it is an incredibly diverse group, 80% first in family, um, group of young people getting into the business. And they hail from all over the world. And I've had to use our global network. I have committed to getting 25 of the students their first job. And I've had to use our global network, um, including places in the United Arab States and, and beyond, to help serve them in returning Home and uh, maintaining a relationship with our Colorado CBRE office. So, uh, the young are growing up and making the world feel very small.
2: <laughs> yeah, and they're in Las that the airport, right? That's the hub. That's the way that you get um, to that world class status. So, and we have it.
0: Well, world class not only your existing airport, but I visited the Swingline uh, facility, which is Old Stapleton Airport. Oh wow. yeah, and um, it's a it's Exhibit A of you had this older facility. What, what are you going to do with it? You turn it into this beautiful single-family residential, but you also have this beautiful food court-slash-shopping area right there in the middle of it, like a, a, a mini version of Union Station, I, I
2: guess is a good way to put it. Is that a fair fair statement? Fair statement. I mean, uh, again, it goes back to that adaptive reuse. So the, the, the reuse of Stapleton Airport. Re, I live in Lowry, which is an Air Force base. I'm, I'm right in the last piece of that Air Force base. Um, just a great opportunity to really – Densify in a way that's responsible. And that's Denver. You do it right.
0: So uh, this has been a great conversation because I think we're all on the same team Denver, so to speak, in terms of we were all bullish on its present and its future. But um, let's look out 10 years from now. Uh, Maybe we'll start with you, Katie. Uh, How do you see the city uh, evolving uh, over the next decade?
1: Yeah, I like to think about our iconic projects. And I was discussing this with the students the other day and saying, you know, one of the iconic projects of me growing up here in Denver was watching Union Station come into fruition, and I predict that another transformative public-private partnership is coming for the city that will define it, and it will be this leader in developing a land bridge between our three big downtown universities and the city. It will bring young talent, it will service lifelong learners, and it will bring a whole new sense of place. Uh, for retail in the urban core.
2: Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to co sign on that because ULI just did a, an advisory services panel on Spear Boulevard, on the Cherry Creek Trail, on the fact that the panel that convened said, Does it make sense to have a highway going through the middle of downtown? If you look at a map of Auraria campus, And downtown, the central business, there's Spear Boulevard going right through it, which is multiple lanes, right? The projects that are being done at Ball Arena, River Mile, these are transformative. These are once in a generation type of transformative opportunities to reinvigorate the core of downtown um, and to make sure that that sort of transformative project. In 10 years, I, I would hope that the city. And County of Denver recognized its place as a regional leader, connects that region together and helps solve some of these sticky issues like homelessness, which is a problem a lot of folks are facing. But it's a problem that is the housing spectrum. It's the whole spectrum of housing. And if it addresses those issues, if it looks at sustainability and the built environment in a way that makes financial sense and therefore is sustainable, to use your terms, Then I think it'll be a leader. It'll show the world how you can utilize the beauty of our landscapes, the beauty of our natural resources and invigorate people and continue to attract people to make this the best city in the world.
0: Well, on behalf of the Weekly Take, what a great conversation about Denver. So thank you very much. First, Rodney Milton, the executive director of the Urban Land Institute, Colorado. Rodney, thanks to you for joining the show.
2: Thank you so much, Spencer. Pleasure to be
0: here. You bet. And then Katie Kruger, managing director, CBRE Colorado. Katie, thank you for joining the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Spencer.
0: For more on Colorado, on our show, and the research we discussed on the air, please visit our website cbre.com slash take We'll be back next week for a show I'm really excited about, so tune in for that, and don't forget to share the show, as well as subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.